I believe that most people know a lot of the content in the book, but they have some block and they have some excuse, frankly. And so I wanted to just really show that to people. Like, look, you can do it too. And if you choose not to, that's a choice that you're making. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today I'm joined by Sahil Lavinga, who is the founder of Gumroad, the platform that allows creators to sell products online. You'll likely have heard Sahil's story about his failure to build a billion dollar company with an article that went viral, but let me summarize it for those that haven't. Sahil founded Gumroad in 2011, aiming to build the next unicorn, leaving Pinterest where he was employee number two. He raised over a million dollars from angels, then seven million more in 2012. Things started growing and then they didn't. Sahil laid off 75% of the company to keep the product alive and moved to Utah to figure out where to take Gumroad from that point. Almost a decade later, Gumroad is growing quicker than ever, making millions in revenue and helping creators make a living online. Sahil has just launched his book, The Minimalist Entrepreneur, where he shares a decade of learnings on how to build a profitable, sustainable business and how entrepreneurs can do more with less and make more impact on the world. Stick around to the end of the episode to find out how you can get a copy of Sahil's book for free as I'm giving away five of them. Now Sahil has 280k followers on Twitter and he sure knows what tweets will engage his audience the most. If you too want a deeper understanding of what engages your followers on Twitter, you should check out Illo Analytics, made by my podcast co-host Dan Rowden, who is kindly sponsoring this episode. Illo helps you see which kind of tweets gets more impressions, likes, profile clicks and more so you can grow your Twitter audience. Illo has beautiful graphs for the most important metrics for both tweets and threads and will be sure to help you grow your following. Head to illo.so or hit the link in the show notes and use the code IndieBytes to get 25% off your Illo subscription for life. Let's get into this episode. So Hill, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Love the book. Fully enjoyed reading it. What really interested me was how you took the framework that you laid out in the book and you went ahead and create an example over a weekend. Much like Gumroad was a weekend project, tweet about it on the Friday, had it launched by the Monday. You did this exact same thing, but following the framework you laid out in the book. Can you tell me what that framework is and how you then applied it to your weekend project verification letters? Totally. Yeah, so I, I got this feedback. I've gotten this feedback about Gumroad's origin story and certainly when I was writing the book and putting it together, that there's some level of skepticism that you can't follow the framework in the book because it's just too unrealistic or it's too fast is another one. Like some people are like, there's no way you can get from, you know, zero to $1 in a weekend, like you suggest in the book. But basically it's one, start with community, which is start with a group of people already in mind, ideally a group of people you already know and who know you. Then two, find a problem that they have that they would pay to have solved. Three is build it. Uh, Generally in a weekend, I love weekend projects. I think that pairs down the scope of what you're trying to build to something reasonable so you don't get stuck just like ideating about it or never actually shipping the thing. And then selling it to 100 customers and then finally marketing it to a broader group of people and then growing, hiring Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So I sort of got that feedback that was like this. You know, this is great if you can. You know, if you're Sahil or if you're whatever. Like, but or even some people would not believe that Gumroad was really a weekend project initially. And so I thought a great idea would be basically what I did in 2011 with Gumroad would be to do it again, except live stream the whole thing so that literally you could like you know it would take you a while. It's 15 hours of video on YouTube. But you could literally go and copy exactly what I did and have the exact same thing at the end because it's 100% out there. There's like nothing that I didn't cover as part of that weekend. And I launched Monday morning and I made a, you know, a few hundred bucks. And now my mom runs the business and 
I, I, I believe that most people know a lot of the content in the book, but they have some block and they have some excuse, frankly, whether it's imposter syndrome or being a perfectionist or having no time or not having the right connections. And I think they're all excuses, frankly, like yeah. the internet has made these excuses because it's now possible. And so I wanted to just really show that to people like, look, you can do it too. And if you choose not to, that's a choice that you're making. Without a doubt, and one of the themes throughout the book, you mentioned this a lot on the live stream, is the emphasis on starting. And a lot of people might want to learn something before they start. I want to read this book on content marketing before I start content marketing. I want to learn how to code before I start building my business. And you say, you start, then you learn. Why is it so important for people to just start and why do you think people keep putting up these excuses and barriers for themselves i think a lot of it comes down to fear of failure uh there's kind of three kinds of fears i think uh one is uncertainty another is unworthiness another one is abandonment i think uncertainty is a big one that's at least the one that kind of i empathize with the most which is like you you don't want to waste time you don't want to spend three hours and then no one reads your blog post for example mm -hmm. or you spend three hours and it and it's terrible, like you realize you're not that good, right? That's kind of fear of worthiness or you build an audience and they all leave or something like that. So I think there's just a lot of fear associated with putting stuff out there, trying and failing. And so I think that's generally why people don't do it is that they, you don't want to go for a run because you're scared that you won't be able to finish the run. If you knew without a doubt that you would be able to run the half marathon in an hour and a half, like I think you'd have a much easier time showing up. And then why I think starting is so important is because honestly, there's no answer to that. I think people try to resolve it. They think that they can read another book and it's going to help them learn, okay, this is how I start running, or this is how I think about building a business, or this is how I answer this question about leadership. But the truth is you're not going to resolve those fears by reading about them. The way that you resolve the fears is by ignoring them and doing it anyway. And then after a while, your brain is kind of like, oh, it turns out like that having those fears, which is probably some sort of like evolutionary instinct based on sort of survival in the wilderness, doesn't apply to this thing. You shouldn't be that scared about running a business. Running a business is very different from going on a hunt. I, re I remember wa watching a, a documentary, Free Solo, with Alex and Ol, the rock climber, the mm. free solo guy. Mm. One scene that really stuck in my head was he's talking to a doctor and they're basically like analyzing his like brain. And the doctor's like, you don't really have a fear instinct. And so like, you're just sort of genetically a good fit for free soloing because you just don't have this fear instinct. And I think Alex's comment and his reply to it, I think was underrated. He basically said, how do you know that? Like, maybe I just bludgeoned it with mm -hmm. activity. You know, in the beginning, your brain might've been like, don't do that, that's scary. But after you do it 50 times, your brain's like, okay, never mind. He's not listening to me anyway. My guess is that's more of what happened right? There's sort of a nature versus nurture, but I'm, I'm a big believer in self-nurturing almost, right? Where if you want to do something, you, you can do it. You just have to do it. If you want to write, you have to sit down in front of a computer and start writing. And everyone can write. Everyone can put three words together with some spaces in between. Talking of writing, you consider yourself a writer, both in the business sense. But if, if we think about so many aspects of our life, writing is such a core part of that. And especially for you running an async business where a lot of communication is written, why is writing so important for our everyday lives, for you specifically? And how can we build that muscle to be writing more? I mean, there's only a few ways to communicate, right? Like you, you can basically talk, which is how I assume humans started communicating. And then you can write, which is you know, now it became at scale kind of with the printing press and all, all that stuff. And I guess you can 
in theory, at some day, someday in the future, you'll be able to think to each other with something like some brain-computer interface like Neuralink. At some point, I believe, there will be actually a new form of communication that we don't have yet, which will be 10 times better than writing. But writing is 10 times better than talking. It's faster. You can read far faster. I mean, everyone knows this. You can read a book in two hours and the audiobook is like seven. I believe that it's much easier to edit words than edit audio and certainly edit video. So I believe that when you read, you're just generally getting a higher quality density of information. And then three, like when you write or when you have a writing culture, literally everything is documented for free. With a meeting, you might have someone who like at the end has to like compile what happened. But if you think about how the world really truly runs, it's in words. The government is a book. And I find that like, why not make 100% of a company that? Why make 5% or 10% or 50% of it meetings that aren't documented? For example, if you said, hey, how did the rebrand at Gumroad happen? I literally have 100% documentation. Every single decision, every single conversation is there. I just believe that you get that for free with writing and you just don't get it with speaking. The other thing is it's all, it allows for that for me to do what I do best, which is I consider myself a writer. I think I'm pretty good yeah. at writing. I think I'm persuasive in writing. And so I want to build a culture that rewards me and other people like me. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Gumroad. Bootstrap for a while, and then more recently, you've raised another crowdfunding round. How has your perspective changed on funding from initially starting it to bootstrapping to crowdfunding more recently? So I was quite a lot in the sort of the early days of my career. The only real funding model I was exposed to was venture capital. You would have an idea, you would maybe build out like a prototype, and then you'd go to investors in Silicon Valley and otherwise and raise a million bucks and then use that to build a small team and get an office and start the startup journey. That, that, that's great, I think, for certain kinds of companies, but many companies don't fit that mold. And it gets harder and harder to fit that mold. Even this, in, even a company that may have fit the mold sort of seed Series A level, you know, may not Series B onward level. And and then, so yeah, bootstrapping was another model that I like. I think the, you know, I have sort of nuance there too. Like I, I think bootstrapping is great. I think people may think that it's just an alternative to venture capital, but it's way harder. If you imagine raising a million dollars of seed capital, how long it takes to a million dollars of profit, which is what you need to pay people a million dollars worth of salaries, a million dollars is going to take you three, four years to get to generally of profit, like real profit, not just revenue. And so I think that is the the nuance that I think people miss sometimes about the kind of debate is like, well, one, ultimately it depends on what you want to build, how fast yeah. you want to build it, how many people do you need to work with to build this thing? How much personal capital do you have to fund it yourself? And that's why I love crowdfunding, which is kind of like the third funding model that we took. We raised a $5 million crowdfunding round in 2021. I really like that because it's kind of a middle path where you're able to raise external capital. So you're able to get that million bucks or so. We raised five, mm -hmm. but you don't, you, you get to raise it from people within your community. Yeah. And you've got your fund now. What's your approach to investing? It's kind of funny because originally the book was going to be called Stop Chasing Unicorns. And now I'm a venture capitalist. So, <laughs> but you know, it just goes back to that, which is, I think the nuance is that there are many businesses that I think venture capital is a great fit for, right? Mm -hmm. For example, if you're trying to build a nuclear fusion reactor, you can bootstrap that generally, right? Like you're going to have to raise capital in some form, whether federal grant or venture capital or contracts paid up front or whatever that may be. And I think venture is currently accessible to 0.01% of people. Like very few people even have the option of raising venture capital. That's kind of another thing that I think often gets missed is people kind of love to say, oh, VC sucks. But like the truth is like, it's a position of privilege to even say that because most people have never had access to that ecosystem. 
And so I think that's my goal as a venture capitalist, obviously I invest in people that I know and, I, and I've known for a long time. So I definitely invest in insiders and, and stuff like that. But I also am trying to dedicate a good chunk of my portfolio, mostly because I think it'll generate the best returns in first time founders, people who don't live in the, in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, New York, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that like that, that's where the returns will come from is people who are outside of the sort of typical wheelhouse of San Francisco Bay Area startups. And like Gumroad's run very different to many other companies, async, no meetings, quarter hours. You wrote about this in chapter seven, build the house you want to live in in the book. Why does this specifically work for Gumroad? When I started the model, it was literally just because it worked really well for me. And I was Gumroad at the time. The thing that I learned working on Gumroad was that sticking with it is really important, right? Like I stuck with it for a long time when I think many other people may not have. And that really is what led to Gumroad being successful today. It's just the fact that we existed long enough so that when COVID hit and and the creator economy started booming and all of these sorts of things, we were like super well positioned for it. And so I wanted to pick a working style that allowed me to feel good about working at Gumroad for many years. And that was one that was async, that I could do my own thing. I could check in whenever I had free time, work on Gumroad whenever it made sense, whenever I felt like it. Everyone else had the similar kind of expectation. And the other thing is when you have a startup and you give everyone equity, and and this kind of goes into that kind of the VC model, everyone wants the same outcome, which is like a billion dollar company or now a $10 billion company or something like that. But the issue is that really allows for only one kind of personality to work at the company, right? You kind of need everybody to be super bought in, like work six days a week, 12 hours a day, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to build a company that you could totally do that if you wanted to. You could also work 10 hours a week. You could also work 20 hours a week. You could also take a month off for Christmas or whatever. And I felt like the only way to have that kind of working model and have that diversity of work styles was to have this like hourly model where you basically just bill however many hours you work and then I let people decide how much they want to work. And that that has worked, I think, quite well for us. At the end of every episode, I ask for three recommendations, a book, a podcast and an indie hacker or entrepreneur that's inspired you book i will say predictably irrational by dan o'reilly which is about pricing and human psychology and i think it's very relevant especially if people are interested in web3 and nfts and and crypto etc like i think learning about how we think about pricing and financial contracts and social contracts i think is a good one and Naval's a great entrepreneur that i follow and and am inspired by the all-in podcast is actually the only mm-hmm. podcast that i listen to regularly sahil thank you so much for joining me on this episode of indie bites You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Bites with Sahil Lavinga. If you want a copy of Sahil's new book, I'll be giving away five copies to people who shared this episode on Twitter. Want an extra entry? Send the link to this episode to a friend and DM me the screenshot of you doing that. All details on how you can enter, along with some useful links from the episode, will be in the show notes. Thanks again to Illo Analytics for sponsoring the show. See you next week.